Today's scripture comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. If you're joining us uh, for the first time today, welcome. My name is Aaron, and uh, I'm one of the pastors uh, on this terrific staff here at the church. And uh, for the past few weeks, we've been doing a sermon series called Liturgy, Why We Worship the Way We Do. And the reason why we're doing this sermon series is because I believe the most important habit uh, of the Christian life is our weekly Sunday worship service. And in our case, we meet just a little over one hour a week. And if the most important habit of the Christian life is our weekly Sunday worship service, we kind of have to understand what it is we're doing. And so for the past few weeks, we've taken a look at why we do our call to worship, why we sing, why we confess our sins. Uh, Gene did an awesome sermon last week on why we do the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month for our church. And today we're going to be taking a look at uh, what comprises almost half of our service, and that is sermons. Why do we listen to sermons? Do you know that if you've come to Exilic or another church every single Sunday this year, you've listened to 52 sermons this year? If you include Good Friday, 53 sermons this year. If you've grown up in the church your whole life and you're at least 20 years old, you've already listened to 1,000 sermons. If you're over 30, 1,500 sermons. If you're over 40, you've listened to 2,000 sermons in your life. So here's a question. Why do we listen to sermons? And that's what I want to take a look at today. I want to take a look at three things. Number one, why do we listen to them? Number two, how should we listen to sermons? And number three, what happens when we do listen to sermons? Okay. So why do we listen to sermons? Well, why did the Thessalonians listen to sermons? Uh, when Paul and his two buddies, Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy, uh, they started this church in Thessalonica because they were in the startup industry. They didn't start tech companies, but they started churches. When they started up this church and it got somewhat sustainable, they left it to do other startups or other churches. Uh, but the church in Thessalonica, they had questions about, you know, the Bible and things like that. And so Paul writes this letter to this church in Thessalonica uh, to answer some of the questions that they have. And in chapter two of Thessalonians, he writes to them and says that he's grateful and encouraged by the fact that when he uh, writes these letters to them, that they not only uh, receive these things uh, as, a, as, a, a, as merely a human word, but that they accept these things as it is the word of God. So in short, why do we listen to sermons? We listen to sermons because we believe that the Bible is actually the word of God. Now, when it comes to our perspective of the Bible, uh, Western society has always viewed the Bible, we've always fallen into three different camps, okay? So the first camp uh, doesn't believe in the Bible, but they respect the Bible. They like its teachings uh, about morality and different things, even though they don't believe it. So that's the first camp. They don't believe it, but they respect it. The second group of people in Western society believe the Bible and they do follow it. The third group of people in Western society, they don't believe the Bible, they don't follow it, and they disrespect it. Now what's been happening 
today is that the first group of people that don't believe in the Bible but respect it, that group of people is quickly disappearing. They're vanishing. And so what we're left with is now groups two and group three, which is why you sort of feel the, uh, the hostility sometimes about what you believe in. You might not even want to talk about what you believe sometimes because of the tension between groups uh, two and three. And let me, let me um, briefly, uh, on page one of your bulletin, let me read you two quotes from Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and uh, their perspective on the Bible. Um, both of these men have scientific backgrounds. Um, and here's what they say. Harris says, as manuals for contemplative understanding, the Bible and the Quran are worse than useless. Whatever wisdom can be found in their pages is never best found there. And it is subverted time and again by ancient savagery and superstition. So obviously, Harris falls in group three. Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion. To be fair, much of the Bible is not systematically evil, but just plain weird, as you would expect of a chaotically cobbled together anthology of disjointed documents composed, revised, translated, distorted, and improved by hundreds of anonymous teachers, editors, and copyists, unknown to us and mostly unknown to each other, spanning nine centuries. And so here's the question. Why do we, if this is true, why do we listen uh, to, to sermons and the preaching? We listen to it because we believe that the Bible is the word of God. And the reason why we believe it, that the Bible is the word of God, well, let me give you three points, uh, although I can probably give a dozen. Uh, let me just give three reasons why we believe that the Bible is the word of God and why we sit under its preaching. Number one, we believe that the Bible is the word of God because the Bible says it is the word of God. The Bible is self-authenticating. It has an inner testimony. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. Uh, in 1 uh, Peter 1, 21, it says that uh, no prophecy had its origins in man, but all prophecy had its origins in God. We believe that the Bible is the word of God because it says so. Now, you might be thinking, hold on, that's a circular argument. You can't say that the Bible is the word of God because the Bible says so. And I would say, why not? We do this all the time. How do you know that science is real? You conduct scientific experiments, right? So the Bible says that the Bible is the word of God. So that's one of the reasons why we believe that it is. Here's another reason why we believe that the Bible is the word of God. Uh, it is coherent and it has withstood the test of time. To this day, it is the number one selling book of all time and probably the most well-read book of all time. Let me read you a quote from Billy Graham on, uh, in an article that he wrote called Why I Believe the Bible is the Word of God. And Graham says the Bible was written by 40 writers over a period of 1,600 years and 66 books. And the great theme from one end of the Bible to the other is redemption, God's love for the human race and God redeeming man and bringing man back to himself after man had rebelled against God. That's what the Bible is all about. Down through the years, it's been ridiculed, burned, refuted, destroyed, but it lives on. It is the anvil that has worn out many hammers. Most books are born, live a few short years, then go the way of all the earth. They're forgotten, but not the Bible. The Bible is preserved and it lives on. One of the things that we say after the reading of God's word is the grass withers and the flowers fade, 
but the word of our God endures forever. And so the fact that it is uh, withstood the test of time and it is coherent, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is the word of God, but there is some weight, I think, there. Here's a third reason why we believe that the Bible is the word of God, not only because it's self-authenticating, not only because it's coherent and has withstood the test of time, but I believe that the Bible is the best story ever told. One question that skeptical people, I ask skeptical people is, what would it take for you to honestly believe in God? And sometimes they respond back and say, well, what would it take for you to disbelieve in God? And my answer is always the same. If you want me to disbelieve in God, you can do two things. Number one, you can go find his body and I'll stop believing because then it means that he didn't resurrect. But there's a second thing that you can do to help me disbelieve my faith that I grew up with my whole life. And the second thing is this, tell me a better story. If you can tell me a better story, a better story than that of Christianity, I might be persuaded not to believe it because then that would mean that this is not the greatest news or greatest story ever told. It's just an okay story ever told. And we need stories to help us understand the meaning of life. So let me read for us a final uh, quote. And this, by the way, I, I think might be one of my favorite quotes of all time. And uh, it's by the media mogul Neil Postman uh, in an article he wrote a long time ago in The Atlantic called Learning by Story. And this is what Postman says. Human beings require stories to give meaning to the facts of their existence. This is why children everywhere ask, as soon as they have commanded the language to do so, where did I come from? And shortly after, what will happen after I die? They require a story to give a meaning to their existence. Without air, ourselves die. Without a story, uh, ourselves die. And if you've been at Exilic for some time, you know the, um, the story of Histrionicus. Uh, the philosopher uh, Alistair McIntyre wrote a book called After Virtue. And in one of the chapters of After Virtue, he tells a story and he says, imagine you're at a bus stop right here on the corner and some random stranger comes up to you and they whisper in your ear, Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus is the name of the common wild duck. How would you interpret that event? You would need a story. So your story could be that person is crazy and drunk, even though it's 10 a.m. Your story could be that person is a spy and they're whispering to you some code. Your story could be that person's a duck scientist and they mistook you as a fellow doppelganger scientist and they're telling you something. But the point is you need a story to help you understand what just took place. And similarly, I would say that we need a story to help us understand all of life and in particular, your life. And so the question then is, what story best helps us understand who we really are? Is it Darwinianism? Is it evolution? Is it atheism? What story best encapsulates who we are and why we're here? And I believe that the Bible is not only the most comprehensive story ever told, it is not only the most uh, compelling story ever told, uh, but I believe it's also the most coherent uh, story ever told. So those are some reasons why we believe uh, that the Bible is the word of God and why we sit under its preaching. When we sing, we're speaking to God. But when we hear a sermon, what's happening is God is speaking to us. It's not my words that matter, but it's his words that matter. So that's why we listen to the preaching, because it's the preaching of God's word. Now, how do we listen to sermons? 
Now, this might sound a little bit strange because you don't watch a television show on how to watch television shows. So why do we need to hear a sermon on how to hear a sermon? Well, in 1940, uh, Mortimer Adler wrote his uh, iconic book, How to Read a Book. And that might sound strange to you, but this book sold over half a million copies. And uh, to this day, it's still very, very influential. And when you re read the book, Adler quickly convinces his readers that just because you know how to read, it doesn't mean that you know how to read effectively. And so when you read the book, he talks about how to read a book effectively, how to understand the main thesis of the book, a main thrust of an argument, uh, how to go back to your, your underlining and, and highlights in an effective way. And so Adler teaches people how to read as they're reading uh, his book. And similarly, there's a right way to listen to a sermon and there's a wrong way to listen to a sermon. There's a right way to preach, there's a wrong way to preach. And so the question is, how should we uh, listen to sermons uh, in the right way? Well, believe it or not, my favorite movie of all time dates all the way back to 1992, and it's a basketball movie called White Men Can't Jump. It is my favorite movie of all time. And this movie is not just about basketball. Uh, it's, about, uh, it's about race dynamics. It's about unlikely friendships. And of course, it's about love. And the two characters in this movie is a white man named Billy Hoyle, who grew up in the South and played basketball in a small school in Louisiana. And Billy Hoyle uses the stereotypes against him as a white man, and he dresses the part, as a, as a person that can't really, doesn't really look the part, doesn't really look like an athlete. And so he hustles people on the streets of Los Angeles for cash. And one of the people that Billy Hoyle hustles is an African-American man who's a living legend on the streets of LA named Sidney Dean. And Sidney Dean quickly jumps on the stereotype and Billy Hoyle out hustles him for cash and they quickly develop a, an unlikely friendship. And now they form this alliance and they begin to hustle people, uh, other people on the streets of Los Angeles. And one day after they hustle another group of people on the streets, they jump into Billy's car and Billy pops in this cassette tape. Cassette tape, back then, is, is one way to listen to music if you don't know what it is. You, if, if the machine didn't work, you would also have to use your finger to rewind it. Um, so that's what it is if you don't know what it is. So, so, so Billy Hoyle pops in a cassette tape of Jimi Hendrix. And, and Sidney goes, what are you doing? And Billy says, I'm listening to Jimmy. And, and, and Sidney says, you, you can't listen to Jimmy. And, and Billy goes, what do you mean? I'm listening, to, I'm listening to Jimmy right now. What do you want me to eat him? And Sydney, knows, and Sydney goes, no, 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 no. You can't listen to Jimmy. You, actually, what he says is you can't hear Jimmy. You can listen to him, but you can't really hear him. And this, this episode goes into this whole thing about race and whatnot. And, and the point of that is, and I think Sydney is right, just because you listen to something, it doesn't mean that you're really hearing something. There's a difference uh, between the two things. And it's interesting that when you look in scripture, it says that faith doesn't come by listening, but it says that faith comes by hearing. This is the reason why the reformer Martin Luther said that the heart isn't the most important organ in the body, it's actually your ears. Your ears are the most important organ in your body because faith comes uh, by hearing. Now, we can probably list about a dozen ways on how we can better, be better hearers of God's word. So, for example, you can pay attention to your attention. 
If your attention is drifting, pay attention to your attention. One other thing that you can do is if you're sleepy, don't come to the 11 a.m. service, come to the 1 p.m. service so you're more alert. And if you're still sleepy at the 1 p.m. service, sit in the front row and take notes so that you, you hold yourself accountable. Now, this doesn't work all the time. Uh, I remember I brought my, uh, my friend who I'll keep anonymous to, uh, to Redeemer uh, to hear Tim Keller, who's this iconic preacher, like hundreds of rows, and we sat in the fifth row. Literally five minutes into the sermon, he's like, <gasps> with his mouth, I could have fed him dinner <laughs> with, how, with how wide his uh, mouth is open. And so it doesn't work all the time, but it is one way of holding yourself accountable. You can, you can uh, listen uh, in a way that is um, critical. So you can ask the question, so what? Anytime a uh, preacher is speaking, so what? So what's the point? How, does this, how is this relevant for my life? And you can be engaged. Uh, you can look at us in the eye instead of just looking down. Uh, one way, if you want uh, to hear better preachers, be a better listener. There's probably nothing as discouraging as someone that is totally unengaged. So if you want your pastors to be better preachers, be a better listener. So these are just some practical ways on how we can listen to sermons. Yeah, you, can, you can do the, the nod, you can do the silent amen, you can say preacher pastor, like all, these are all different ways on how you, we can be more engaged. But let me, let me give one really good way of how you can be a better hearer of God's word and it's found in this verse. So if you take a look at it again, it says that the Thessalonians not only received it uh, as the word of God, uh, they not only accepted it as uh, the word of God, but they also received it as the word of God on the, on the first and second line. And the word that is used here for received, it doesn't mean that they just accepted the word of God, but the word received also means that they applied the word of God. The purpose of preaching is not just for information purposes. The purpose of preaching is always for transformation purposes. Now you cannot be transformed without the right information, but the purpose behind it always, the goal, the telos is always uh, for transformation. And the reason for that is because when we preach God's word, what we're doing is we're making the gospel audible. But when we live God's word, what we're doing is we're making the gospel visible. And so the point, the purpose of preaching is always not just information, but the purpose behind it is always transformation. One of the fascinating things for me uh, when I is when I compare and contrast the demon's perception of Jesus and the disciples' first impression of Jesus. And when the demons interact with Jesus, they always say, we know who you are. When the disciples first meet Jesus, their question is, who is this man? The demons say, we know who you are. The disciples say, who is this man? And what that means is that just because you're listening to something, it can easily go in one ear and out the other. In other words, the proverbial coin hasn't dropped yet. And that was certainly the case for the disciples, which is why Jesus says to them over and over again, you have eyes uh, that can see, but you do not see. You have ears that can hear, but you do not hear. Have you ever put a coin, a quarter in a vending machine, but the coin doesn't drop or it drops in the wrong place? And that's similarly what can happen uh, when we're not hearers of God's word and we're just listeners to, uh, of God's word. A few years ago, I took a, uh, a class with an old professor of mine, and it was a week-long intensive class, and the class was, it was such a blessing uh, to me and such an encouragement to me. And at the end of the class, we always had to fill out an evaluation form. 
And I just remember, you know, checking all fives off for him because it was such a stellar class. And um, after the class was over, um, it, it dawned on me just how great he was. And, and I didn't remember him being that good of a, a teacher, actually. I, I remembered him actually being quite boring. And as I thought about how is he such a good professor right now when I always thought that he was a little bit, bit boring, I realized something, and that something was that he's always been a good professor. It's just that I was now a different student. When I first took a class with my professor, I was a 23-year-old, like basically right out of college, <laughs> learning from him. But this time, I was 37. I was 14 years older. And now I was sitting under his teaching again, and I realized that he hadn't changed, but it was me that changed. And throughout the course of some years, I had learned to become a better hearer. Now, you might be thinking, okay, what am I supposed to do? I can't just get older all of a sudden, right? I am what I am. Uh, but there is a sense in which people, certain people are more mature beyond their years. And I think one of the things that you can do to become a more mature, mature hearer of God's word is to receive it. In other words, apply what you're hearing every single time. Don't, don't just be a listener or a hearer but apply what you're learning into your own life. You know, in James 1, it says, do not merely be a listener of God's word and so deceive yourselves. A person who merely listens is like someone who looks in the mirror, walks away, and immediately forgets what they look like. But a hearer of God's word is also a doer of God's word so that when they look in the mirror and walk away, they remember what they look like and remember what they learned. And one of the ways that you can do that more and more in your own life is by uh, actively applying what you're hearing uh, into your own individual context, all right? So why do we listen to the preaching, uh, preaching? It's because it's God's word. How do we listen to it? By applying it into our own life. Now, thirdly, what happens when we do listen to the preaching of God's word? And there's a last phrase um, in this verse which, which says, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Um, when our church first started uh, four and a half years ago, the hardest night of the week for me was not Saturday night when I was trying to finish up the sermon. The hardest night of the week for me was always Sunday night, particularly when I botched the sermon that morning. And... Um, and I, I would always think to myself as I'm sleeping on Sunday night, I, I could have said that better or I shouldn't have said that. And, and I'm my own worst critic. And so Sunday night was always the harshest night for me. I, I barely could sleep. Uh, but after some time, I started seeing a pattern. And one of those patterns was this. When I, when I thought I, I preached an awesome sermon, it'd be like cricket sometimes, no feedback whatsoever. I thought it was like a grand slam, no feedback. And there are other times where I thought the sermon was terrible. And sometimes people would come up to me, and I don't think it was just out of sympathy, but they would come up to me, <laughs> I hope not, but they would come up to me and they would say, that was, that was really good, like I really appreciate what you said about this and this. And after about the sixth or seventh time that happened to me, I started realizing something, and that was this. It's not the preacher of the word that matters. It's the word of the preacher that matters. In Hebrews 4, it says something very, very interesting, and it says that the word of God is alive and active. The Bible not only says things, it does things because it's alive. 
it convicts, it encourages, it edifies, it imparts wisdom. It not only says things, this thing does things because it's alive. And perhaps the greatest thing it does is that it instills hope to every single one of us. About a year ago, I started watching, I don't, I don't get to watch a lot of TV, but the title hooked me because it was called Living Biblically. And I'm assuming none of you have heard of it. It, it was on CBS, it didn't last for more than a season. It was on CBS. Sitcoms are really hard. And so, but the, the title got me, and so I started watching it, and it was about a New Yorker named Chip Curry. And Chip, um, in this season of life, he had just lost his closest friend to something. And so he was really devastated. But then he was also encouraged by the fact that his wife was now pregnant. And so Chip is sort of feeling all of this, um, this emotional stew that he's kind of swimming in, and he's trying to figure out, okay, what's the meaning of life now? How should I live to be better? And so he goes into a bookstore, and he gets a basket, and he fills his basket with all these books. And as he's checking out to purchase the books, one of the books is a Bible. But Chip didn't put the book, uh, the Bible, in his basket, and so he tells the cashier, I don't want to buy the book because I, I don't know how this got in my basket. But then he thought to himself, maybe this is like some kind of divine intervention or something. So he says, okay, actually, I'll, I'll buy it. And so he, he buys the Bible, and he begins to read it, and he embarks on this new spiritual journey where he decides to live, according, live a biblical life to the T. So he throws out all of his clothes that are like 50% cotton, 50% polyester, because you can only wear clothes with the same material. He cuts out pork. Um, he he, he stops cursing. Uh, he does all these different things. There, there's even a scene where one of his coworkers admits to him that he cheated on his wife or girlfriend. And in the Old Testament, it says to stone him. And so he's like, what, what am I supposed to do? And so he gets this little pebble and just gently, throw, <laughs> gently throws it at his shoulder and runs away because he wants to live a biblical life to, to a T. But one of the things that he realizes as a modern New Yorker is that it's really hard living a biblical life down to the letter of the law it's really, really hard. And one of the mistakes that Chip Curry made was that he thought that Christianity was fundamentally the same as every other religion, just superficially different. And what he didn't realize is that Christianity is actually superficially the same as every religion, but fundamentally different. Let me say that again. He thought that Christianity was fundamentally the same as every other religion, just superficially different. He didn't realize that it's just superficially the same, but fundamentally different. And the reason for that is because in religion, the purpose of religion is to live a more moral life. Do more good things than bad things, and your moral performance is up to par, you'll get paradise, nirvana, etc. But in Christianity, that's actually not the purpose. That's not the goal. If anything, the point of this book, the point of the Bible is to show you that you're not as good as you actually think you are. <laughs> C.S. Lewis once said, you don't know how bad you really are until you try hard to be good. <laughs> and certainly that's what Chick Curry was trying to do. He was trying to be as good as possible, but he, was, he realized that there's this simple nature that's a part of him that he can't take off that causes him to be bad. If your worst critics could climb into your heart, you know what they would find? They would find only more ammunition to use against you. But the purpose of life 
as if we could. The purpose, the purpose of life is not to go through life with a 100% approval rate, as if we could, because we can't. But the purpose of life is really to understand that we have already been approved. Because what Jesus does as he comes down from heaven and crawls into our hearts is he takes those files, he throws them out, he empties the trash bin at his delete, and he takes those files and puts it into his own life as if he had done those things himself. And instead, he gives you his perfect righteousness. That's the gospel. And he lived that perfect life. He died that perfect death once and for all. However, even though he died once and for all, the power of his Holy Spirit is continually at work in our lives, particularly when we sit under the preaching of God's word. I saw a meme uh, recently of a man going up an escalator and the man fell and couldn't get back up, but the escalator was still taking him upward. And similarly, though you stumble and you will, and though you fall and you will, and though you do some stupid stuff like, you, like myself, just know that it is the power of his spirit that is still at work in your life, carrying you up to heaven. My daughter Logan broke into my wife's makeup bag this week and I don't, I don't know what that thing is called, but to darken your eyebrows, eyebrow darkener. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, she painted a unibrow right across, and she also gave herself a mustache. And it's the funniest thing you've, you'd, you'd ever seen. Now, let, let's say that Logan also broke into mom's closet, and she also wanted to wear one of her dresses. Obviously, that dress would be big on her, but you know what? She's still wearing it. And one day, she'll actually grow up and fit into it. And similarly, sometimes our, our, our sins and, and the stupid things that we've done, it's, it's as if we're wearing rags. But Jesus takes those rags off and he clothes you in his perfect robes of righteousness. Now, those robes are humongous. But one day, you will grow up into it. You will attain, you will, you will fit into what you've already attained and what you already hold because the power of the spirit that is at work in your life. So let me close with a song, even though this is not a singing sermon uh, that I grew up singing uh, in the church uh, that I think has tremendous theological ramifications. And it goes something like this. Little by little, every day, little by little, every day, my Jesus is changing me. Since I made a turnabout face, I've been growing in his grace. My Jesus is changing me. He's changing me. My precious Jesus, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow growing. But there's a knowing that one day perfect I will be. <laughs> I really did not expect that. <laughs> Look at Pastor Gene's face right now. He's like, this, that was awful. I can't believe you're clapping about that. Um, though we stumble, though we fall, one day perfect we will be. And it is because of the power of God that is continually at work in our life.
That's why we sit under the preaching of God's word. Let's pray together.